Today is another episode recorded live with the Beyond Measure community. And I'm gonna talk about my experience at the Channel Islands National Park, which was the 44th US National Park that I visited thus far. There are 63 parks in total. So I'm getting close to seeing them all. <laughs> and it was a really wonderful experience that I'm excited to share with you today. I have some Beyond Measure members that are listening live, participating in a chat, and I'll be answering their questions. I'll be sharing their experiences. So any live listeners, if you want to share a trip that you've taken that was similar or share about other national parks you've visited or parks in general, part of this conversation started with one of the members talking about their passion for Disney World Parks, or Disney Parks, I guess. There's Disneyland, Disney World, there's California Adventure. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of different types of parks, so I invite those who are here live to share whatever you would like. And if you are listening to the recording of this on This Might Get Uncomfortable, I invite you to join anytime you would like. The live interactive experience happens every Monday right now. That schedule may change in the future, but it is within Beyond Measure, which is a private community based on supportive connection, uh, mental health, well-being, and just personal rejuvenation. We do these live episodes as a community. We have community events. I do well-being coaching within there. There is a lot to experience. And if you'd like to join, the link to Beyond Measure is in the podcast description. So right within your podcast player, there'll be a link in two places. Like there's a little description field and then there's a link external, depending on your podcast player. All of them are are uh, a little bit different. So if you ever struggle with this, feel free to reach out to me privately and I'll make sure you get in so you can check out Beyond Measure and see if it's for you or just come and listen to an episode live. Uh, they're recorded a week in advance so you get to hear things a week before the rest of the world does. And I'm getting comments right now within Beyond Measure that it's fun to be part of the studio audience. I love that that phrasing too, that, that's really cool. And to me, it's really rewarding because the interactive elements, getting to know people, supporting them and, and evolving the podcast in real time. Like I said, answering the questions, but bringing in other people's experiences, to me, that is much more rewarding than recording on my own to no one <laughs> until the episode releases. It can be a weird experience. So with no further ado, I will share about the Channel Islands. And I wish I'd pulled up some facts off the top of, of my head. I don't know all of them. So I'm going to actually pull them up on my web browser so that I can share a little bit more about what the Channel Islands are. And I will also link to the National Park website, which I have learned to navigate very well. Uh, because I visited 44 national parks in the United States, I um, am become very comfortable with these websites and they're beautiful. In fact, one thing I highly recommend if your curiosity is piqued about the Channel Islands is watching this 25 minute documentary that they made. A, the National Park Service made this about 10 years ago. So, um, probably in 2013, and it's narrated by Kevin Costner. It's such an incredible video 
And it's also great audio. You don't even have to watch the visuals, although I highly recommend it because there's all this aerial footage and it travels through time. You know, like it's so cool. And I watched this documentary before I went there. I was really grateful for it because it gave me some context to what it is. And on the National Park website, here's the description of the Channel Islands. It provides a wide variety of recreational opportunities and a delightful break from the congestion and clamor of urban life. It encompasses five islands and this one mile range of ocean, I suppose. Um, that's what it says here, at least. <laughs> it seems like a small area, actually. The, the islands are fairly close to each other. They are about a one hour boat ride from the Los Angeles area. Technically, they're off of the coast of Ventura, California, which is about an hour north of Los Angeles proper. So I drove up there, got on a boat. The boat ride took about an hour and I was on this incredible island. And I had to choose one of them for that day trip that I wanted to do. And the website itself says it can actually be really challenging to choose what to do at this park because you do need to take some sort of boat or aircraft to get there. I chose the boat. I wanted to have the ferry experience. I'll tell you a little bit about that. And let me just see if there was any other details about the, the Channel Islands. Let's see. It On the National Park website, it says, close to the California mainland, yet worlds apart. It encompasses five of the eight California Channel Islands. And one person asked in the comment section if the Channel Islands are similar to Catalina. And I think Catalina is part of the Channel Islands. I'm going to look that up in real time. That's an island that I have been to. And yes, it's technically called Santa Catalina. It is part of the Channel Islands, the archipelago, if I'm saying that right. Um, and that is really worth a visit. Absolutely beautiful area. And there's a big difference between Santa Catalina and then the National Park Five Islands because Catalina, you can stay there in a hotel. There are restaurants. It's bustling. And like there's so much to do there. But the Channel Islands National Park are very remote. There are no restaurants, no hotels. You can camp there. But other than that, it's just nature. And this is why the website is describing it as being kind of worlds apart from the rest of the California mainland. And it's pretty spectacular place because it's preserving and protecting all sorts of natural resources. It has incredible biologic diversity. In fact, it's home to over 2000 plant and animal species. This especially impressed me. 145 of those plant and animal species are found nowhere else in the world. And I did not realize that until the night before I left for the islands. And it really excited me. I love anything that feels novel and special, unique. And wow, did I get that visiting. That's also referred to as the Galapagos Islands of South, or I'm sorry, of North America. So the Galapagos Islands are in South America, but it's the website says, like the Galapagos Islands, isolation has evolved, has allowed evolution to proceed independently on the islands. 
So they have everything from these tiny microscopic plankton to the blue whale, which is the largest animal to live on earth. And there's a number of people within Beyond Measure and perhaps many more listening to the podcast that live in Southern California. And I'm amazed because I had no idea that all that was happening so close to me, nor did I recognize that the largest mammal is right off the coast. <laughs> like That blew my mind. It's also fascinating because the archaeological and cultural resources on these islands span a period of more than 13,000 years of human habitation. So a lot happening there that is really impressive and worth a visit. And at the very least, check out the video on the YouTube channel and the National Park website. Same video, just linked in two separate places. It's, it's just jaw-dropping. And it actually gives you a good feeling for the experience. I also think that they might have a virtual um, component on the website if you're not, if it's not accessible for you to get there, meaning time-wise, financially, it just feels overwhelming for you, check out the website. You can actually learn a lot and experience a lot from there too. Um, however, the website does mention accessibility. They have all sorts of accommodations for people with disabilities. That's one thing I've noticed with national park in general is that they're very committed to making these parks accessible. Um, it just depends on what your needs are and what accessibility needs to you. So um, lots of information if you become curious. And I, as I've mentioned on many episodes, but we'll summarize again today in case this is the first time you've heard me talk about this, I started becoming interested in the national parks only a few years ago. And previous to that interest, I had visited a few. I'd been to the Grand Canyon, which is a national park. I had been to Yosemite in California, which is one of the most beloved national parks in the whole country. Um, I went to Moab, Utah, Arches National Park, a few of them. And I stumbled upon more in 2020 on this big road trip I went on. And it opened up this passion for me that I didn't know was there. And it's amazing to me that in just three years, less than three years, actually, it's only been about two and a half as of right now, I think, wait, am I, I think so. Yeah. Cause it was in, it was in uh, August, 2020 that all of this started growing for me. And I bought something called the America, the beautiful pass, which is a physical pass that you can get for $80 a year. And it gives you entrance, it covers all the entrance fees to these parks. And I think I got that pass in 2021. I didn't even know what it was prior to that. And now I just feel like the world is at my fingertips. I have a car, I can work remotely. And I always try to be transparent about that because I understand some of the obstacles for people can be not having the time or the um, structure in your life to visit them. So I do see it as a privilege. It's also worth looking up what might be in your backyard. You know, for us in California, there's a lot in our backyards, whether you literally your backyard figuratively, um, it could be within a half an hour, half an hour drive from you. You could be surprised. California is 
home to many national parks. In fact, I don't know the number off the top of my head. Let me see. How many national parks in California? Let's find out together. I'm going to guess eight. It might be more. And I haven't been to all of them yet. I think I have one more. There are nine national parks in California. Some of them are, are farther away from us if you're in Southern California. Um, but it's just worth looking at all the national parks on a map. And that pass I mentioned doesn't just cover these national parks, of which there are 63. It covers um, national monuments, which I didn't know what that was until a few years ago. They're very similar to national parks, but somehow slightly different. Um, Essentially, that pass gives you access to over 2,000 outdoor spaces. So my encouragement with each of these episodes is to educate you on the possibilities and maybe inspire you and know that for a nominal fee of $80, you could go out to a new park almost every single day. Actually, you could, right? There's 365 days in the year, and I haven't done this, but... It would be pretty cool if every day I went and saw a new park, I wouldn't be able to see all of them that are covered within that $80 fee. And that has been really fascinating. As someone else said in the chat, uh, the U.S. national parks are truly a gift. I have become very appreciative of them. And with this Channel Islands Park, it's so impressive because of all that biodiversity. And because it's so remote, so I'll get into what that experience is like. I booked the tickets as part of my birthday celebration. My birthday was several weeks ago. I was supposed to go the day after my birthday this year in 2023, but the weather got in the way and I had to postpone the trip. And so it ended up happening um, this past Friday, which is right before Easter weekend in 2023. And it was just phenomenal from beginning to end. My ferry that I booked left at 10 a.m. The way the ferry system works is you get there about an hour ahead of time. And as I mentioned, it's about an hour drive from Los Angeles. So uh, left around 8 a.m., got out there, and it was so well organized. This is something I've noticed time and time again with the national parks is they have made it as accessible uh, in terms of not just disability accessibility, but but just making it cost effective and also easy to get to once you decide where you want to go, if that makes sense. So they give you all these very clear instructions and you basically take a highway, get off a road, drive to this harbor and check in at a desk and they take it from there. You get a ticket and you wait in line to get on this little boat. Now, the accessibility of a boat is where the challenge um, may lie. And I'm not sure, but I believe that the Channel Islands may be one of the least visited national parks. Let me double check that. I believe I read this. It tends to be the parks that are harder to get to because you can't get there by car. Um, there's a number of lists out there, and my father had told me about this at one point, but it's not a quick find online. Um, it depends what source you use, but because you have to take a boat, you have to overcome any seasickness, which I'll talk about in a moment. And depending on your body and where you're at physically, sometimes getting on a boat 
is or feels like a big struggle. And I want to mention that as well. For me, I am fairly comfortable on boats. I've been in a number of been on cruises. I've also been to other national parks. I've talked about in the past uh, episode, my visit to Dry Tortugas National Park in Florida, which was a two and a half hour boat ride off the coast of um, the Florida Keys. So, or it's part of the Florida Keys, I should say. Um, it was off of Key West, which is the farthest spot you can drive to. And then you take a boat to this tiny little island. So having done that just about a month ago, I felt like I could do the Channel Islands. <laughs> having been to Catalina before, I also grew up in Massachusetts where I would go to places like Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. And so I, I was used to it, but a little nervous about the experience. Um, the boat was much smaller than I thought it was going to be. And I, that's important too. If you've ever taken a big ferry, um, which I've also done, I did this last year when I was in um, uh, Washington and Vancouver. There are a lot of ferry rides over there. Very different experience than this. The Channel Islands Ferry, which is run by a company called Island Packers. It's the only company that you can take unless you go privately. Um, it's a little pricey. I think it might have been around $100 or $150 to go. Um, so again, another obstacle can be money, right? Um, so saving up money is something I've gotten into the practice of doing. Because a few years ago, a $150 boat ride would have felt challenging for me, to be honest. It's not how I was used to spending my money. Now I have a budget for travel. And I've talked about this in a past episode. If you're curious, it's probably a few months ago. And if I, I'll uh, look for the link to that episode if you would like to know some tips for budgeting for travel. Not a huge expense, but compared to a lot of the national parks where you can just drive in there and you're not having to take another form of transportation, the parks, if you don't have the America the Beautiful Pass range from like a $15 entrance fee to maybe like a 30-ish dollar entrance fee. So aside from that, the rest of the park is free. The Channel Islands does not charge an entrance fee, but they do charge transportation. You can also take a boat, uh, a plane there, I mean, but I don't know how much that costs. It is likely to be several hundred dollars, maybe $300, $400 to do that. So it can be a lot. Anyway, so there's the cost. There's the physical side of a boat where <laughs> you might be someone prone to seasickness. I, based on my dry tortugas experience last month, had started to think a lot about seasickness. I did feel nauseous on both of these boat rides, but I didn't get to the point of vomiting. Other people on these boats did though. And actually it's so common for people to get seasick on the way to the Channel Islands that there's a lot of information about it. When you go to the websites, they have these full pages about seasickness tips. A lot of people take Dramamine, but I actually didn't realize that some of the Dramamine products contain animal products like gelatin. And if you're plant-based like I am, might not fall into your preferences. So I found a brand called Genexa, G-E-N-E-X-A. I'll link to that too in the show notes for anyone curious. It's a homeopathic motion sickness remedy that is highly rated. You can find it at stores like CVS and a lot of natural markets plus on Amazon. And that 
was great to have. I took some, I don't know if I needed it, but it gave me peace of mind because the boat ride was just a lot. <laughs> it felt like a speedboat with 120 people on it. And it was just zooming through the water and we we're going over these waves over and over and over again. It was a nice sunny day, but there was some wind. And so the waves were rough and it was a little unnerving for me. Another thing that was really helpful for me was um, making sure I read through the whole website for tips because it's a remote island. They recommended bringing lots of water, food. So I brought lunch with me snacks and both those uh, water and food are some top motion sickness tips, uh, which I did not know. But apparently, if you're very hydrated and you've had enough food, you can deal with nausea a little bit better. Um, also, recommendation is bringing uh, warm clothing, even though we're in springtime right now in April, it can get very chilly out on, on the boat. So bringing warm layers and um, comfortable shoes and all that. There was like a whole checklist of stuff. So that's another element of going to some of these parks, like thinking through what is it like to spend a lot of time in nature away from some of the creature comforts. I tend to be super prepared. And if you check the website, there's lots of tips, but I'm very glad I went the extra mile and brought some motion sickness pills. You can also use ginger to help with nausea and motion sickness, and they provide it on these boats. In fact, the boats also provide snacks, if some plant-based snacks, not a ton. They're mostly like processed packaged foods, various drinks. Um, so, you know, they, they really covered you. It was very thoughtful, as I mentioned earlier. Even if you were not prepared at all, you can buy pretty much everything you need at the harbor before you leave on the boat. If you forgot anything, one thing in hindsight I wish I had had and did not bring is a waterproof phone case. So you can get these like plastic covers for a phone that allow you to be out on the water and the phone can get wet. It can be submerged in water and still work. Although depending on your phone model, your phone might actually already have that coverage. Um, so that, you know, just thinking through some of these things, reading the reviews, this is another big tip I've learned. I often look on Yelp and TripAdvisor, and I also love to submit my own reviews. So you may see one from me. If you go out to the Channel Islands, I, uh, I will give a full report of everything, um, probably beyond what I, I cover here today. So take this hour long ride out there. Um, the last thing that is a little out of the ordinary, but for someone like me who has a lot of um, sensitivities to stimulation, my earplugs, the loop earplugs specifically, which I've talked about a number of times, were so helpful for me because the boat itself was loud from the motor and the water and the wind. But inside the boat, they had different places you could sit. You could sit um, on outside or in. And inside it was really loud, just with people talking over all the noise. It was very overstimulating for me. So my loop earplugs, which I'll, I'll link to in the description of the episode as well, those were so handy to have. And they helped calm down my nervous system so that I didn't feel too overstimulated when I got to the island. When we finally reached there, it was a beautiful sunny day, a little bit windy. And there are a number of people talking about how the wind was a little more intense than usual, but it was still going to be a nice day. And you get off this boat and you walk this pier 
onto shore. And it was just this cool feeling of being with a group of people and not very many. Like I said, I, I think the boat held about 120 people. There were several boats, um, depending on the time period. So maybe about 300 people, I would guess, on the island. And I specifically went to Santa Cruz Island. I mentioned earlier, there are five islands within the Channel Islands. You can take ferries to most of them. Um, but Santa Cruz is the biggest one. And I thought that would be a good choice for me, having never been out there before. And the island's really big. So a few hundred people there is not crowded at all. There was so much space and that felt really nice. And I walked off the pier to find this interesting area, Santa Cruz. And let me just make sure I'm, I'm second guessing that I, the, the name of the island I went to. Uh, yeah, it was Santa Cruz. So I'm going to pull up the facts from the National Park website to share a few details with you. In addition to being the biggest, um, it was named for a priest's staff accidentally left on the island in 1769. Little little history there. Um, the Spaniards were so impressed that they called this island of friendly people Santa Cruz, um, the island of the sacred cross. And it's a pretty neat place with... Uh, it's about 96 square miles in size. We were trying to envision it. It felt really big and vast to me. It has all of these canyons and cliff sides. It has caves, sea caves, which I'll tell you about a little bit more later, tide pools and beaches you can go to. So when you land on the ferry, there's a little bit of a beach, very rocky. And that's mostly where kayak tours happen, which I took later on in the day. I'll tell you about that too. Uh, but all these trails you can go on, plus a campground. I chose not to stay overnight there, but I kind of wish I had because it seemed really neat. The campground just felt really peaceful. And the campground was also where you could find one of the coolest elements of the park, which are the island fox. So if you're an animal lover like I am, this was really worth a visit because there are fox there. I will pull up the details on it if you're curious. Let's see. Somewhere on this website, again, I wasn't fully prepared. But off the top of my head, I know that the fox that live on this island are native to it. And you can only find them on this island. They were so incredibly cute, and these fox, for better or for worse, have become very comfortable with people, so they will walk right past you. You can't pet them. They're wild animals, but they're walking around kind of like stray cats. If you've ever been to a city with a lot of stray cats around, that's what the fox were like. They're there. They're comfortable. They're not afraid of you, and they're mostly scavenging for food. That was so cool. They're very cute. Highly recommend looking up pictures of these fox on the National Park website. They're also in that documentary I mentioned. And they're kind of like the size of cats. So it was really sweet. That fulfilled a, a desire of mine once I got to see them. There's also tons of birds. That was a big takeaway for me all over. Like the second you leave the harbor, there are just birds everywhere pelicans and seagulls, of course, 
there are ravens that live on the island and there's all these different types of, of birds names I don't remember, but some are again, very specific to that island and they were just everywhere, beautiful birds and, and just very comfortable with people. So that was kind of neat to be around. And there are picnic tables and benches and everything's a little bit spread out. Santa Cruz has an old ranch on it. I think actually several of the islands have this, but you basically walk off the pier into this old ranch. <laughs> that was pretty neat. Um, some of the structures are still there and some they've maintained and turned into a visitor center. There are bathrooms there. And so I sat down, had a lunch. I brought a, a salad with me and um, bottle of water, some various other snacks like kale chips and a food bar. Those were all great choices for the park and an ice pack to maintain the temperature for the, for the salad. If I wasn't gluten-free, I probably would have had a sandwich. Certainly I could make a gluten-free sandwich, but a little more complicated than a salad. So I enjoyed a nice big salad. Um, and then I went into the visitor center, which was also worth seeing tiny little place, but with all these old artifacts, they played music from the indigenous, uh, people that used to live there and talk about the history of that. So it was really neat for those of you who are curious. Um, and then after that, I went on a kayak adventure. So there's a company called, I believe, Santa Monica Adventure Company. You can find all their details on the National Park website. And they offer a few different tours. I picked their hour and a half sea cave tour. And it was so great from beginning to end. Again, a little pricey, but worth every penny in my experience. Because the whole, the whole time I was with them was probably two and a half to three hours and you get your own private, well, not private guide, but you get a guide in the small group of people. So um, there were about, I think, eight to 10 of us in this little kayak group and multiple groups, maybe five, six groups went out. So good amount of people got to go have this experience and they covered everything. They gave you a wetsuit, uh, a, a vest. Um, there's a special name for those kayaking vests. I forget what it is, but they're, you know, they, they keep you afloat. You can store some items in them. Like they recommend bringing food bars and all of that. You can bring your water bottle and they have a water refill station there. Um, and they, they even provide shoes like water shoes. If you didn't bring them, I brought some that I got on Amazon that worked out really well and jackets. I mean, like it was, everything was taken care of. You show up and a really kind guide tells you about kayaking. If you've never been before beginner, can I easily do this? Um, they give you all these safety tips. They even sell those waterproof phone cases if you want. And the prices were fairly reasonable. So it was just that feeling of being taken care of. I had this wonderful guide named Brian who had been going to the park for 12 years and knew so much about it. He was only 24 years old and yet had a wealth of knowledge and his enthusiasm for everything was really cool. And uh, he took us out uh, on the ocean and we started going into these sea caves and just along the cliff sides of the Channel Islands are tons of caves. I think he said there were over a hundred caves on that island alone. And depending on the weather and the water conditions, the guides will take you through in and out of them. And it was so 
neat. The sounds and the colors and just the like thrill of doing something adventurous like that was really nourishing. It was also really neat because the water is fairly clear on most days around the island. So there are these massive kelp forests underneath you in the water. And actually uh, the Channel Islands have, I think the most kelp in all of California or one of the most kelp rich places, which the seaweed that supplies things like carrageenan, a very popular ingredient in some foods and health foods and plant-based foods, a gelatinous substance. And just kelp in general has all these nutritional benefits. And the guide actually encouraged us to reach into the water and, and pick off a piece of kelp and eat it. And it was surprisingly delicious. <laughs> so that was fun and just stunning, like looking down at this clear water and all this sea vegetables growing around. Um, and we just spent an hour and a half going in and out of caves. And it was physically challenging, but worth it. Um, and then time-wise, the day felt a little short. So right after we got back from kayaking, I went hiking. I mean, I stripped off my, my wetsuit and everything, and you return it to this little area where they store everything. And I dried off and went on a hike. And it took about an hour to hike, about a two-mile loop that takes you up some of these cliffs and overlooks the island and there's all these wildflowers and there's birds flying around the pelicans were just incredible and like i said it was a beautiful sunny day be sure to bring lots of sunscreen another tip for these parks and and a sun hat that's one thing i invested in last year in 2022 i went to uh, bryce canyon national park i remember looking around and saying i should get one of those sun hats so if you'd like, I can link to the sun hat I bought. It's awesome. It has like SPF technology built into it. Plus it can keep you cool. And I did all this research on sun hats and, and it's like a sporty sun hat. And it's really a great investment. Um, and it was only like $20. So I use it all the time. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the other thing I started to bu start buying all of this different equipment over time. Speaking of money, going back to that, when I first started these adventures, like really seriously in 2020, I was not in a, a great financial position back then. And I didn't have a, any extra money to spend on road trips. I was doing things very bare bones, like the, as budget as I possibly could. And then over the last few years, my income has shifted and I also became more savvy about budgeting. And that's allowed me to buy more equipment for myself. And looking back over these experiences, I've been able to pace myself, been able to plan the trips, and I've been able to notice like what feels important for me to get. What can I add that's going to improve my experience? So the sun hats one. Uh, the the things I want to buy next are some proper hiking shoes. I hiked around you know, at the Channel Islands and several parks now in my Vessi shoes, which I absolutely love. Highly recommend looking them up. It's V-E-S-S-I. I'll, I'll link to them. I have like a discount code if you want. Um, they're waterproof plant-based shoes. <laughs> like they're certified vegan. Um, and they also are completely, well, I guess 
maybe water resistance. I think they might use the term waterproof, but truth be told, water will get into your shoe. It just stays off of it. So you can go in, in um, muddy areas and, um, ex, you know, it's not meant to, to go in a kayak, for example. I had separate shoes for that, but they're awesome. And they might make hiking shoes that I've been wanting to get. So that's something I plan to buy later this year. I also want to get hiking poles, which uh, I didn't know that much about before, but you see them all over these parks and hiking trails. And they're just these short poles. They're not super expensive. I've seen them around $30. And what they do is give you stability so that you can hike and have lesser chance of falling. And the concept is that instead of just having two feet, the poles make it seem like you have four feet, which is kind of cool. Um, so I want to get those too. Uh, but little by little, I've added to my my travel equipment. And the other thing is um, a different jacket. I noticed on this trip, a lot of people had these great uh, waterproof, like, I, I don't know what the best term is for them, but they look like they're wind resistant or um, they'll, they maybe are, what's the, uh, rain jackets, raincoats but they looked like they were protecting people from the wind and the rain or water. And I just thought I need one of those. <laughs> like that was an, uh, something that they were really emphasizing when you go kayaking to not wear any cotton, you can only wear uh, like polyester and spandex and all that because the cotton will absorb the water and keep you really cold and wet. So there's all different types of, of outdoor attire that I'm learning more about and going to places like REI or Dick Sporting Goods and these places where you can completely geek out on all the different um, things, but it's pricey. And one of the Beyond Measure members just mentioned uh, about wanting to talk gear and clothing. Yes, I would love to take you up on that. Um, these are the things I love about Beyond Measure is people want to support each other um, and learn from each other. And I'm learning a new term, which is cotton kills is the phrase for outdoors. I had no idea. Like I still have so much ignorance, even though I've been to 44 national parks, I've been going mostly as a casual visitor. And I have now started to become really interested about advancing my experience. When I was hiking in the Channel Islands, I wanted to try harder trails. And I, I want to make sure I'm not slipping because I have the wrong shoes on. And I want to make sure I'm warm, but I'm wearing something that's lightweight. You know, what backpack do you use? Like all of these things, some of it can feel like overkill, but if you're going to continue doing these things and expanding your outdoor adventures, it's really helpful to learn about all of these different um, types of gear, you know, and thank you to the a Beyond Measure member who has mentioned this. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, I'm seeing it as an ongoing thing. I have, as I mentioned, about 19 national parks to visit, but these are becoming increasingly difficult. So now that I've completed the Channel Islands, um, my next trip is going to be, uh, I think, seven more parks within um, the main, uh, area of the U S I don't even know what phrase to use. I'm excluding Alaska, which feels like another world. Um, but also there is, there are two parks in Hawaii 
there's a park in Samoa and there's a park in the Caribbean or the Virgin Islands. So those are my plan for 2024 and 2025. I started devising a two-year long plan for myself. And that's going to include things like learning about gear and budgeting. Um, I've actually developed a whole budget for myself based on the timeline. And what all these parks have taught me is just learning new things. I think there's a whole world of these outdoor adventures that I was not exposed to. I've mentioned on past episodes that I didn't even really know how to camp until 2020. That was my first time camping, going to campgrounds, never done it. So I didn't know anything about that. Like I didn't know what gear to bring and I didn't have much money for it. But now I've slowly started to increase my my budget and, and I do a little research beforehand and I tap into the knowledge of other people that get excited about this as, as is happening in the Beyond Measure chat right now. Yeah. And thank you also for the right terminology. Contiguous United States. Am I saying that? Or conterminous. See, I've never even heard those terms. <laughs> I always was thinking continental. So I'm wondering, do, do those terms of contiguous or conterminous, does that um, exclude Alaska? Because I'm, I'm also trying to learn where does Alaska fit into all of this? And Alaska, that's my 2025 plan. That's going to be my uh, penultimate, if that's the right terminology, of like my final and biggest national park adventure because there are eight parks in Alaska and most of them are very remote and apparently hard to get to plus expensive. I have some friends that used to live in Alaska and they recommended I have a budget of at least $5,000 and a time frame of probably three to four weeks to try to make it to all those parks. But what I'm rel realizing about these parks is weather is a huge component and I think it's very humbling to recognize, just like I had with the Channel Islands experience, like the weather prevented me from going a few weeks ago and I had to delay the trip. Fortunately, it's very close to where I live, so it wasn't a big deal. But when I try to go out to Alaska in a few years, um, there's a lot of things I have to learn. There's money I have to save. And there's also a lot of adjustments based on the weather. And yes, the lower 48. Thank you. That's the other terminology. So contiguous means no Alaska, no Hawaii. And how about does that exclude the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico as well? And another per, or the same person mentioned that Alaska is massive. And that's the other thing that I have loved about these adventures is looking at a map. So if, if you're starting to feel curious along with me, one of my favorite things to do these days is to look at a map. I'm constantly looking at maps. I was never like this before. <laughs> this is a new part of myself I've discovered. I've never cared about geography. When you look at a map and just see how big Alaska is, it can feel shocking. And I remember talking about my mission to see all 63 national parks and underestimating Alaska. And my friends that used to live there said, Whitney, have you ever looked at a map of Alaska? It's huge. And I sat down, looked at it. And then I also had to understand the way the parks work there, where there's no roads. And there's, speaking of wildlife, 
the wildlife in Alaska is on another level. So um, it's, it's really mind blowing. And as, as uh, is brought up in the, the chat too, how Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands are not states. So it's like learning about the terminology too, which has never come easily to me. Right? Like I think of them as states, uh, but they're not technically. Um, they're territories, right? That's the that's the right term. Um, and how cool! I I mean, see, hearing from people uh, like the community member who's I'm just keeping anonymous just to be kind, or or, or um, not kind to be mindful of people's privacy. But uh, there's in the chat saying about your Alaska experience and not even being on trails. I mean, that scares me simultaneously as feeling deeply excited about it. And that's why I'm giving myself two years because I need to save the money. I don't have an extra $5,000, but I also feel so ignorant. And how cool is it to set goals for ourselves that put us in an uncomfortable place, but give us the time to become more comfortable with the concepts. You know, Channel Islands re feels relatively easy, but it took me a while to get to a place where I was even interested and willing and had the money, had the time, like all of this took a while for me. And even though it's happened pretty rapidly, my first national park was, I think in 2012, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'd have to go back over my whole history of it, but I think it might've been Yosemite, which in hindsight is pretty cool because it's one of those parks that is so beloved. That's another thing that's interesting about the national park system is hearing about what each person's favorite parks are. For me, it's Yellowstone so far. I thought Yellowstone was so incredible. It just as a whole, what the experience of it was absolutely remarkable. Um, but there are so many different opinions on these parks. And so I encourage each of you to, to look them up. Like I said, if you want to pull up a map, see where you live right now and, and look up where the closest national park is. And if it's far, look up where the closest national monument is or look up where the closest state park is. You might be surprised at what's nearby. And wow, speaking of things that are outside comfort zone, this Beyond Measure member shared a really cool photo of themselves in Alaska in 2001. We are definitely going to have to talk. <laughs> that is so cool. And my my heart just sings seeing things like this because I feel like those that that experience is in my future, but there's so much that could happen in two years and there's so many unknowns and it feels a simultaneously short and a long way away. But seeing a picture like what is shared in the Beyond Measure chat just now is so inspiring. And it's a reminder how much we can inspire each other. This is exactly why I love meeting incredible people like yourself in Beyond Measure because you get to inspire me and teach me things and bring me out of my comfort zone. And I think we can do that for one another in just ways that are so nourishing. The reason that I became so passionate about these national parks is because I feel like they really 
light up my curiosity. There's so much to learn. It's expanding my consciousness. It's bringing me out of my comfort zone. It's teaching me about my strengths. What I didn't mention is going from kayaking for an hour and a half in rough water to hiking a moderately challenging trail for two miles. That doesn't even sound like me. I'm wondering, like, who am I? How did I do that? Where did that endurance and the resilience come from? But there is something about these parks that brings sides out of me that I didn't even know existed. And I think nature really has the power to do that. And then when we can hear these inspiring stories from each other and recognize what other people have overcome and what they've learned about themselves. I've, I've had other guests on the show. One of my favorites is Roland who came on to talk about his travels and what he's learned. And wow, that blew my mind. So if you want to hear more about this, you can not only listen to my previous episodes about the parks, but also some of the guests I've had on. And there's so many incredible people in Beyond Measure that you can connect with directly in either real time during these Monday interactive episodes and or privately. You know, Beyond Measure is um, essentially like a messaging platform where you can talk publicly amongst each other or privately in direct messages. You don't just chat with me, but you get to talk with each other. And we're all here learning from each other and growing as human beings and reminding each other that we can get to do these extraordinary things that maybe we never thought possible. So I will continue to share that with you. Um, also, yesterday, I was at a party. It was Easter. I went to a little Easter party in Los Angeles. And the people there reminded me, it's not just the national parks. There's just so many cool places in the world to see. And that's why the math is just an incredible tool. I've mentioned before how I use Google Maps very um, interactive wise, where I go and mark down places I want to go to. And then whenever I feel the travel bug coming on, or if I'm planning future trip, like I do with my annual road trips, I look at all the places I marked down on Google Maps and I try to make a plan to visit them. And I added a few places to my list yesterday. Um, one of them is, let's see, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's out near the Grand Canyon National Park. And near some areas that I've been to, it's out, I guess that's part of Arizona. And let me see, let me pull up my, my Google map. I never thought that I would do things like this, even just like using Google Maps the way I started doing. But <laughs> if I, I should take a picture, I'll do this. I'm going to screenshot it and, and um, I can put it. It's not working properly right now. I'll do this later, but I will add to Beyond Measure and the notes, if I can, what my Google Maps looks like when I zoom out to the United States. It's just all these flags which like all these pinpoints of where I want to go. And some I've also been starting to mark down where I have been. And this area that I just added, I wonder if this is familiar to anyone else. And I'm trying to find it on the map right now. It's out in the Glen Canyon National Recreation Area, which is pretty neat. And next to a national monument, which I didn't even realize was a national monument, um, the, the Grand Staircase. Escalante 
national monument, which I've been out to. Um, but this area near that national, near the Grand Canyon is not showing up the way I want it to in this moment. So it's going to take me a little bit more scrolling around. <laughs> it is um, a place where you can see these waterfalls that are completely blue. And they're telling me about how it was a 10 mile hike into this park, or I guess that's part of the park experience. And you hike to these incredible blue waterfalls. And when I looked up the picture of this place, which is why I want to find it so badly, I was absolutely blown away and I did not know it existed. It starts with a K. That's a, that's a, a little clue for anyone listening because I, my Google maps is not functioning well. This is the downside when you have a lot of places, your whole system can become overwhelmed. Oh, here it is. Okay. I found it. It's called. Hava Supai, H-A-V-A-S-U-P-A-I, and it's an Indian reservation. This is another aim of mine, is to learn more about these Indian reservations and be mindful of the culture there. Um, the Native Americans, um, being respectful of the heritage, the history, the people that live there still, um, what it means to go to these places and not destroy them. That's another thing I've I've been trying to educate myself on. I think many of us can take nature for granted. We are not always as mindful of it and our impact. A lot of these national parks remind you not to take rocks home or sand home. Like when I went to White Sands National Park, there is so much education. Like just taking a handful of sand might seem like something innocent that you want to keep as a memory. But the parks are encouraging you to just take a picture. You don't need to take the nature home with you and keep it in a jar. You can leave it where it is so that other people can enjoy it. And I think we can also be mindful of how these places came to be, how we can respect the culture, the people that used to live there or currently live there. And actually, there are opportunities to give back to, to support these local communities. That's something I've been trying to learn about the Grand Canyon area, for example, which has all of this Native American history around it. Um, you can support some small businesses there. And there's all these shops along the roads that you can buy directly from the people that live in the area. Um, but I don't know. I don't know uh, the impact of that, too. So I think keeping in mind of uh, the footprint that we leave and it's not just about us and the impact it has on us as individuals, but the impact it has on the planet. The national parks have taught me more respect for myself and for others and for the environment. And it takes a lot of awareness and education that I'm continuing to cultivate. So with that, I will wrap it all up. I know I kind of veered off the course of of the channel islands but that was essentially it i finished up my hike and got back on the ferry i was on the island for about five hours and it flew by it was just magnificent and i would love to go back i heard santa rosa one of the other islands is amazing and 
I encourage you to look into seeing if that park is of interest, to watch that movie I mentioned. Even if it's not of interest, maybe you'll learn something new. Maybe you'll feel inspired. Maybe you'll feel rejuvenated by the visuals and the story and the history of it. And I would love to know about your individual adventures. So if you want to come join us and be on measure, if you want to be part of these live episodes and live chats, you are welcome every Monday. And you're welcome 24-7 and be on measure to come and post things. The pictures that were shared in the chat today are so impactful. So if you want to post them throughout Beyond Measure at any point, we can each share our stories no matter where your travels have been. As I mentioned at the very beginning, some Beyond Measure members are into uh, parks like theme parks. That's just as valid and joyful and interesting. It doesn't matter what you're passionate about. We want to hear it all. That's part of what brings us closer together is learning about what brings each other joy. So I want to know that about you. So if you want to come check it out, if you haven't yet joined Beyond Measure, the link is there for you in the description. You're welcome to message me anytime via email. If you have questions about it, if you have requests, if I can be more accommodating to your needs and desires, I'm really trying to work on that. And I hope that you get to meet all the amazing people. So thank you so much to those that held space for me and each other today during this live recording. It means a lot to me and it feels like it means a lot to others. And I can't wait for more. So I'll be back next week. And we're also working on our next community event, which is happening on, on April 29th, 2023. If you're listening to this episode beyond that time, we are working on having monthly community conversations and activities and beyond measure. And those are also really worth checking out. So lots to see. I hope to hear from you regardless of beyond measure. If you ever want to send me an email and get in touch and share, share something about yourself, I'd love to learn it. That is one of the most nourishing things for me in life is getting to know you and having you be part of my life. This is not a one-way conversation. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back again on Friday with a special guest. There have just been absolutely amazing people every single week joining the conversation. And this might get uncomfortable. So stay tuned for that. And I'll also be back next Monday for another live episode. Bye for now.